We're going to look at Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 to 39, as the message will be all about Jesus feeding the 4,000. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing him the lame, the blind, and the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised God, the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and, and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread that um, the remote place here and feed the crowd? How many loaves do you have? He asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he went off in a boat to the vicinity of Magadan. All right. Now, if you're listening to that story and you've been following us in our study through Matthew, that may sound pretty familiar, right? That may sound pretty similar to the feeding of the 5,000 that we talked about just two chapters ago. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Um, today's message is going to be in, at finishing up what Dad just read at 15 and then looking at chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. Uh, we're looking at today's message called, What Would Jesus See? WWJS, as we continue our um, our, our walk through the book of Matthew. Now, uh, anybody, you've seen these images before, right? These magic eye things. Anybody got the skill? I don't know how this exactly will translate on the screen, even for people here or, or people on the live stream. Let me know if you've at home, you can chat it out. If you're here, raise your hand. If you can see what is going on, let me see if I can... Anybody see it? It might be a little hard. We see it is the monkey. See no evil, hear no evil, and speak no evil. If you look, and I don't know. I actually don't know if I can see it on the screen. I can see it on my laptop. But this will help. This will underline the point. Don't worry. This is going to be great. Um, so this, the technical term for this is an audio stereogram. There's an auto stereogram, so there, that one's for free. It's when you can see a three-dimensional image on a two-dimensional uh, plane. And so, kids, you can try this out. Google them. They're, they're sweet. They used to make those old magic eye books. I just gave you a week's free uh, of quarantine fun. So that one is just for you. Now, we're all, whether or not you can see the image, we're all looking at the same pattern, Right? But instead of chaos, for those who can see the three-dimensional image, we see the creator, we see the image that the creator had intended us to see on the image. Um, but you have to focus, right? When you finally get that thing into view, the moment you take your eyes off of the image, it goes back to squiggly-lined chaos. 
And, and once you see it, you go, how could I have ever missed that? And then you can make fun of all the people that can't see it. It's great. Um, but I was thinking about this, the way that it relates to our passage today in Matthew 15 and 16. Um, we, we've heard the words in Hebrews that faith is the evidence of things unseen. I'm talking about looking at things with the eyes of faith. Faith gives us the ability to see things that the rest of the world can't see. See, the world looks at, you think about the current state that we're living in right now, it looks like squiggly lined chaos. But with the eyes of faith, we can look at that same image and instead see what God wants us to see. We can see that God is here in the midst of our chaos. And with the eyes of faith, we can see the beauty and the design and the purpose that the creator has intended for us to see the depths and dimensions. But you have to focus. And the moment we stop focusing, the moment we take our eyes off of him, it's back to chaos. This is what we've been looking at in chapters 14 through 20 of Matthew. We're calling this section the upside down kingdom. That Jesus is showing us how the world looks at reality one way. But through his eyes, we want to see things the way he sees them. What would Jesus see? WWJS. And this morning, we're going to see three things. We're going to see how Jesus saw. We're going to see how the Jewish leaders saw. And then we're going to finally see how Jesus wants his disciples to see. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Matthew 15. Now, Dad just read these words up on the screen here on our first point. Now, we've read this... We, we, We've, we've read a story very similar to this before, right? Back in, in Matthew 14. And you, you go, Matthew, you can't fool us, right? You're basically telling us the same story. Earlier, it was the feeding of the 5,000. This time, it's 4,000. The first time, there were 12 baskets left over. The second time, it's seven baskets left over. This is basically the same thing. If I told you there's this really cool movie I'm going to make about all these Dalmatian dogs, and I'm going to call it 100 Dalmatians... That's a pretty bad ripoff, right? Like you just, you just fudge the numbers just a little bit. So the question is, why would Matthew do this? Why would he tell almost the exact same story twice? I believe Matthew wants us to see that the exact same things Jesus was doing among the Jews, he is now beginning to do among the Gentiles. See, I think the first feeding of the 5,000 is primarily a Jewish audience, whereas the feeding of the 4,000 is primarily a Gentile audience. Now, at first glance at our story, this is not obvious. Um, how do we know this? Well, we know from last week that Matthew was traveling, or that um, Matthew had Jesus up in the region of Tyre and Sidon. It was a Gentile area. You can see the green there on the screen is, is, the, is Israel's territory. And he was up there with the Canaanite woman to heal her. Now, in Matthew, it just says he comes back down to the Sea of Galilee. And as you can see, the Sea of Galilee uh, in the upper left is, is, is Israel's territory. And down in the bottom right, called the Decapolis, that is Gentile region. So reading Matthew, how would we know if he's among Jews primarily or Gentiles primarily? Well, in Mark chapter 7, which is telling us the same order of the same stories... Mark gets a little bit more specific. He says that Jesus, when he goes these healings, he goes to the region of the Decapolis. So that is that bottom right, that Gentile area where Jesus is specifically healing and feeding. But let's say we're not reading in Mark, right? We're in Matthew. Are there any clues in the book of Matthew? I'm glad you asked. You guys always ask really good questions. I appreciate that about you. Um, 
in Matthew, after he heals all these people, it says they glorified the God of Israel. Now, the Jewish people would have never used this term. He was their God. This was a Gentile expression, the God of Israel. And then when he is healing the, or feeding the 4,000, it says he's in a desolate region. Now, up in um, the Galilee side, where Capernaum is, that, would, that was a bustling district. It would not have been called desolate. But down in the Decapolis, that was much more sparsely populated. They would have seen that as desolate. And then, even more interestingly, both feedings used different words for the leftover baskets. For the Jewish people, they used this word uh, kofinos, which was a, was a basket primarily used by the Jewish people. But when he, with the second feeding of the 4,000, they used this word spirus. And that was a basket that the Gentile, the Greek world, would have used, not the Jews. The last thing to note here is that there are 12 baskets left over when he feeds the Jewish people, which would symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. There's seven baskets left over with the Gentiles. Now, we don't know if that symbolizes creation, that he's here for the whole world, or a number of completion. I've come for everyone. We don't want to do too much reading into it, but we definitely see it's not the 12 representing the tribes of Israel. And so we use these context clues to show us that Jesus is feeding and healing Gentiles. Now, why does that matter, though? Why have we gone out of our way to, to point that out? Remember, Matthew needs his Jewish audience that he's writing to to understand something very important. That the same bread that Jesus fed the Jews, he is here to feed the Gentiles. That, that ultimately he himself, the bread of life, salvation, was for the whole world, not just one nation. And just like Jesus' conversation with the Canaanite last week, the Canaanite woman, when she said, don't even the dogs get the crumbs after the children, which we said was a matter of procedure, not priority, we see here Jesus seeing the Jews regarded the Gentiles as unclean, but Jesus says, I've come to give them clean hearts too. I've come to provide life for them as well. I've come for everyone. So taking some principles away from this first passage that we read, how does Jesus see the Gentiles in this passage? I see three things. First of all, I see that he sees them with compassion. Look in verse 32. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat and I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on their way you see Jesus cares about the physical needs of the crowd that they might have enough food to be able to make it home he cares about both our physical and our spiritual needs he sees them with compassion he also sees them for what they can become not just what they are. I love this. When, when these people come to him lame and blind and crippled and mute, what does he do? He heals them. That he both loves them right where they are, accepts them just as they are, but then he also sees what they could become with his healing touch, with his restorative life. Jesus has come to put death into reverse and he's showing that through the healing of these people. And then finally, he sees everybody. And he sees them the same, both the Jew and the Gentile. That Jesus has come with the same healing, the same provision for the Jew and the Gentile. So how does this inform the way we should see people today? Let's, let's apply those things to our own hearts. First of all, we're called to see people with compassion. So let me ask you, who are you not seeing with compassion today? And in this time, this has been a contentious time for a lot of us. And maybe it's a family member you've been cooped up with. You're sitting with in that living room right now and you're like, no. 
maybe it's somebody who disagrees with you. Maybe, maybe it's somebody you don't see this, this whole thing the same way as. Maybe it's, it's, it's a branch of the, it's somebody in the government. Maybe it's somebody who, you're at Fred Meyer, and you're like, this is not the way I would carry this, this whole social distancing thing out. And we're judging each other. You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus died for each soul. He sees each person, each person with compassion. Also, we see people for what they can become, not just who they currently are. We love them where they're at, but maybe, maybe you are seeing somebody in your life right now with a real sin. Maybe I am seeing somebody with a real weakness, and, and let's remember, I'm looking through the plank in my own eye. But, but as I see that person, what if I didn't just see them in the two dimension, but I saw that, that 3D image of what they could become if God was to heal them, transform them, continue to grow them. We love them where they're at, but we see what God could make them become. Not just the rough cut, but the diamond that's in process. And we pray for them in that end. Finally, we see everybody the same, right? Red and yellow, black and white, all, everyone is precious in his sight. And this question shouldn't be, I mean, Jesus is challenging the Jewish people to see the Gentiles not as unclean, but with compassion. And this doesn't just mean that we're not supposed to be racist. Obviously, there's that aspect to it. But even further, let me ask you, this week, am I actively pursuing the people that our society would regard as outcasts? During this pandemic, our hearts should be breaking for those for whom Jesus' heart is breaking, for the abused, for the poor, for the defenseless, for the isolated. And maybe for you, it is taking this bread to another nation. He wants us to go beyond our own borders to every tongue, tribe, and nation. And maybe he is calling you, like Anna Martin from what we saw earlier today, to go to another one of these tongues or tribes or nations with the gospel. We're all called to make disciples, but maybe he's calling you to do that somewhere else. So let's focus on the autostereogram. Let's see people the way Jesus sees people. Anybody see that one? It's kind of like, and then the screen's kind of moving, isn't it? I don't know, you can, it's actually the world. You guys can't see it. <laughs> no, it's, all right, all right. Well, sometimes illustrations don't work out. That's all right, keep them going. Um, Number two, how did, Jesus, how did the Jewish leaders see? We see how Jesus saw, how do the Jewish leaders see? He's back, he goes back across the Sea of Galilee, and now he's back in Jewish territory. And what we're going to see is more opposition from Jewish leaders. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now we have to understand, we often lump the Pharisees and Sadducees together, but these people, they, they hated each other. And they could not have been two more opposite groups. We think of in terms of kind of conservative and Republican or uh, conservative and liberal sides of the lines. Um, the Pharisees would have been the conservatives. They're the ones that are putting all the hedges around the law, right? If it's a 55 mile an hour zone, they're going 17. Like they're making sure that they're going above and beyond the law. Whereas the Sadducees were more on the liberal side of things. They were skeptical. They actually denied that the resurrection even happened, were, were skeptical of, of much of the supernatural side of things. And so these guys did not see eye to eye. It was like Republicans and Democrats today going, okay, we really got to work together on this one, right? And we're seeing not even the pandemic seems to be able to do that. But nothing, listen, nothing unifies like a common enemy. And, and here, this actually shows us how much both the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated Jesus, that they would come together and approach him. And so when they come, they ask for a sign. They ask for a sign. Now, if I'm Jesus, I'm going, 
You want a sign? Like, where have you been, man? Look at all the miracles I've been doing. I just fed 20,000 people with a box of pilot bread and a tuna can. Like, what more do you want from me? But here they say they don't want just a sign. They want a sign from heaven. See, they distinguish. Jesus has already done the signs here on earth. As he's casting out demons, as he's healing. They say, we want a sign from heaven. We, they're envisioning Elijah when, when God rains fire down from heaven or, or when, when Moses has God throw bread down from the sky. They go, prove to us that you are from God. Now, why does it say they ask for a sign? It says to test him. See, the reason they're asking for this sign is they're trying to trap him. They're trying to do anything they can to discredit him. Prove it, Jesus, because they, they believe that he's going to show himself to be the false, a false prophet, not the Messiah. In light of this, Jesus answers them. He says, when it's evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Jesus says, I'm not giving you a sign. Why? Because you don't believe. All you're looking at is the squiggly lines. You know how to read the weather. You know how to predict what the weather's going to be like out on the sea today. But you are walking by sight, not by faith. You have hardened your heart and are rejecting me. And this is actually twice now that they demanded a sign. And twice Jesus has said no. And this, this, this touches on the nature of, of miracles. The nature of miracles. See, we, we often, when it comes to signs and wonders, many people today would even say, man, well, if God just showed up, if he wrote his name in the sky, if he did something so obvious that we couldn't refute him, then I'd believe, right? But we know, what are the principles of, of these miracles, these signs and wonders? Well, one of them is that seeing is not believing. <laughs> seeing is actually not believing. You see, we see this in the Old Testament. We have our, ta- our case study with the people of Israel. That over and over again, I mean, God parts the Red Sea, right? He's leading them with pillars of clouds and fires. He's throwing bread down from the sky. But what do we see from the people of Israel? Unbelief, they continue to doubt him, continue to complain, continue to reject him. The reality is that miracles harden the hearts of the faithless. You'll always find a reason to discredit something, to, to, to explain it away if you don't want to believe, no matter how obvious the miracle may look. But, it, but miracles fuel the hearts of the faithful, those who do believe who do press into Jesus, when we see another evidence of God in our lives, it's another stake in our testimony as to who our God is. So the other principle that we see here is that for miracles, we always see what we want to see. Listen, the, the problem is not a lack of evidence. It's not a lack of physical seeing. It's a hard heart. It's spiritual seeing. The primary issue is our heart, not our heads. Listen, if we don't want there to be a God... We can create a world, we can take a scientific approach where we can disprove him and discredit him. If you look long enough, you'll find what you're looking for. If you're in the desert looking for water, you will eventually see the mirage. And the Pharisees have already made up their minds. They have already decided, and a sign won't change their hearts. That's why Jesus calls them blind guides. They've rejected Jesus, and they've they've evidenced that twice now. 
So this, this approach of the Pharisees is a rejection, an unbelief of who Jesus is. So now let's, let's look from there to turn and see how the, Jesus wants his disciples to see. He's going to have another encounter with the disciples. Picking it up in verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. So keep that one in the back of your mind. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the disciples think he's talking about literal leaven, literal bread from the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's going, hey, you guys, don't get bread from the Pharisees. Their bread stinks. It's like off-brand, great value. It's like, I think it's out of date. I, it, it's, it, it doesn't even have any gluten in it, right? Don't go anywhere near their bread. And so the disciples, they go, they began discussing among themselves, going, we brought no bread. Like, we, he says, beware of their bread. They go, and they're, they're shoving each other. Like, I thought you were supposed to bring the bread, right? It freaks them out. They realize 12 strapping, young, hungry men don't have bread with them. And Jesus is looking up at heaven going, Father, really? <laughs> like, this is the crack squad you left me with to accomplish your mission? What were you thinking, right? Verse 8, Jesus aware of this. He said, oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, I'm not talking about physical bread. Then they understood, oh. And he did not tell them to beware of the unleavened bread but the teach of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So he says, I'm not talking about physical bread that you eat. I'm talking about the Pharisees and Sadducees teaching. Beware of that becoming a part of you. Now, what exactly is he referring to here of the teaching of the, the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, the, the context will help us here. The conversation he just had with the Jewish leaders and connect that to, to what he sees the disciples dangerously starting to tiptoe toward themselves. Three things I see here. First of all, they're focusing on the wrong things in the present. Focusing on the wrong things in the present. See, the Pharisees, he says, you guys are excellent Weathermen, you know, red sky, morning, sailor's warning, red sky at night, sailor's delight. You, you get all that stuff. But you've totally overlooked the signs of the times. You don't see John the Baptist was calling you out for your own wicked hearts. I've been telling you that you're off base and I've been presenting who I am as the Messiah. And you've missed all of that as you look at the physical. The disciples have been falling into the same trap. Here are the disciples fo focused on physical bread, as some of you are, as we creep closer to the noon hour and your Mother's Day lunch. And they totally miss Jesus' point. And in both cases, there's a walking by sight, not by faith, of focusing on the physical and neglecting what God is trying to tell them, show them through Jesus. This also involves forgetting the things that God revealed in the past, Forgetting what God revealed in the past. The Pharisees have now twice demanded a sign. While ironically they are totally missing all the signs that Jesus is showing them. That he is fulfilling all these prophecies. Matthew over and over again is showing how Jesus is fulfilling the old, the old prophecies. But what do we know of the Pharisees? They're more focused on their interpretation of the law than God's word itself. Because you're totally forgetting what God has said. In the same way this is now the second time 
that Jesus has now twice fed these huge crowds in a miraculous way. And Jesus goes, but once again, you're worried about bread, worried about whether or not you'll have enough. Haven't you learned to trust me yet? And in both cases, there's a failure to remember how God has always kept his word in the past, how God has always provided everything they would need and would continue to do so in the present. Finally, we see here a faithless, they're faithless to see what God would provide in the future. Faithless to see what God would provide in the future. See, the Pharisees knew a storm was coming, but they didn't have eyes to see where Jesus was going. They missed the point that he was heading toward the cross, the sign of Jonah, the death, burial, and resurrection of where all this was heading. Why is that? Ultimately, the Pharisees' hard hearts didn't see Jesus as the king because they didn't want to see Jesus as the king. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was the king. Why? At the end of the day, at the heart of flesh is pride. They wanted to be their own kings. So they rejected the true king. We will always see what we want to see. And so Jesus here is screaming this warning to the disciples Beware, don't go the way of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't, and don't take on their vision of me and reality. See, this whole chapter, we're going to see this next week, this whole chapter climaxes with Jesus' question when he calls these guys out for little, their little faith and don't reject me as the Pharisees. He's going to ask next week in verse 15, he says, but who do you say that I am? I know who the Pharisees and Sadducees think I am or am not, but who do you say that I am? And we're going to hear the grand confession of Peter who says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus is going, guys, this has never been about physical bread. This has never been about physical bread. This this reminds me of of that scene 11 chapters earlier. Remember when Jesus was in the desert, 40 days without food. And Satan tempts him to turn the stones to what? To bread. Jesus looks at this image and he sees his two-dimensional circumstances. He sees the squiggly lines. But then he focuses correctly and in 3D, he sees his fathers there with him, providing for him, sustaining him, reminding him of who he's always been and who he will always be. And to Satan, Jesus responds, it is written. I remember what my father said. I know who my father is right now. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, Satan, this isn't about bread. See, Jesus was the only human who ever, per, who uh, ever, who perfectly focused on what his father had said to him. This was a sign, <clears throat> Pharisees, that Jesus was the right man for the job. The only one who would look at the image the way that his father would see it and say, what's God doing in this moment right now? What's God want in this moment right now? He was the only one who would perfectly remember what God had said and did in the past and therefore see what he was doing right here in the present and obediently trust him to provide all the bread he needed, all the love and strength that he needed as he faithfully moved toward the cross. What an example to us. And isn't it easy for us to dog on the Pharisees and the disciples here? I guess kind of low-hanging fruit to be like, guys, it's so obvious. Jesus is going to die for you, and he's going to raise again. How can you not get this, right? Wake up. But have you ever 
Ever watched a movie with like one of those crazy plot twists, like one of the M Night Shyamalan movies? Um, you ever seen Sixth Sense? And 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 at the very end of the movie, for the first time you're watching it, you go, "Oh, he's dead. He's an angel." Sorry, spoiler alert. It's 25 years. If you haven't seen the movie by now, I think I think we're out of the woods on spoilers. Okay, but then when you watch it the second time, you have the benefit of hindsight, and it makes sense, right? Every scene, you're like, "Okay, now I see why they couldn't see him. I, I totally get it." But you're not gonna sit down. You shouldn't sit down with somebody who's never seen it and be like, "You dummy. You don't know that he's dead. Like, where have you been?" right? We've seen the ending. We know where it's going. And in Matthew, as we read this, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? We're seeing the cross from the perspective of the empty tomb. We can flip over to Matthew 28. We know where the story's going. We know the things that the Bible says angels longed to see. Prophets searched for hundreds of years to find. And yet even still, we find ourselves in the struggle bus, don't we? We find even knowing where this is going, we too struggle to believe. So let's examine our own hearts here and ask the question, how does 11 of the Pharisees sneak into my own life? A couple of ways I think this can happen. See if you can relate to these. Number one, I can focus on the wrong things. I can focus on the wrong things. I want to be transparent with you here for a moment. Um, This last month, I have seen the fear and frustration that's mounting in people. I have Facebook. <laughs> like I, I, see, I see what we're saying. I see where a lot, of, a lot of ways where our hearts are. And I say this with love. I've seen a lot of the complaining. I've seen a lot of the, the whining. I've seen a lot of the arguing as we're, as we're debating our rights and freedoms. And if those are being stripped away from us, whether or not the government is overreacting. And, and, and everybody who's now a pandemic expert because they read two Facebook articles. And one of them has been debunked. And especially with believers, even in our own church, I'm going, guys, you're focused on the wrong things. And before you turn off the camera, before you leave, this is what the Lord did in my heart. He said, hey, Justin, what are you focused on? What are you focused on? And I realized I was focused on everybody else's lack of focus, right? I had this giant hypocritical plank in my own eye that I had to deal with. I'm going, why are you guys so frustrated? Okay. It's easy to get distracted. In this moment, as much as ever, focus on the bread, focus on the squiggly lines, what we can see in our circumstances instead of focusing on what we can't see, what God's doing here in our midst, the active, loving work that he's doing in the battle that he's most concerned about, the battle for our hearts. The Lord brought that to me that I focus on the wrong things all the time. Number two, I forget what God has said. I so easily forget what God has said. The Pharisees neglected these prophecies of old. The disciples forgot how God had already provided for them time and time again. And I can so easily forget about this book that is full of these wonderful, these hope-giving, these necessary promises, as well as all the times that God has been faithful in my life before. And in the course of human history, I forget. And because of that, number three, I faithlessly look forward. I faithlessly look forward. If I lose focus, if I'm focused on the wrong things and I forget about who my God has been and what he has said to me, I will fail to believe that King Jesus is going to come through for me tomorrow. And you know what I do as a result? I put the crown on myself. And like the Pharisees, because I don't trust him to be who he's claiming that he is, I try to control my own circumstances. I try to be the king of my own life, which always turns out so well, doesn't it? So how do we guard against this leaven? Second Corinthians 4.18, it says, So we do not focus on what is seen, 
but on what is unseen. Why? For what is seen is temporary, and, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul says we, focus, we need to focus on the right things, not the physical that we can see only, but the unseen realm, the three-dimensional aspect of what God's doing in the midst of the physical. But how do we do that? How do we actually walk in that today? Three principles and then we'll be done. Number one, we need to get alone with God. We need to get alone with God. Just like you're never going to figure out that 3D image, even when it's on a screen that you can actually see it on, um, if you don't actually spend time looking at it, right? You've got to practice. You've got to focus. We're never going to truly believe who Jesus is in our lives if we don't spend time with him, if we don't spend time looking at him. But the question is, how do you look at what's unseen, right? Like, how does that work? How do we see what we can't see? Well, the Bible says that the eyes of faith actually involve the ears. As Paul said, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God. I can't remember and walk in the truth of what he said if I don't know what he said, if I'm not reading, if I'm not focusing on the things that he has said to me. And it's not just a glance, right? You're not going to see the three-dimensional image by a quick glance. You've got to stare at it. You've got to focus on it. You've got to take time, significant time. So, you know, my own life is coming Friday. I'm able to carve out a day when, when Jill's working. <laughs> I'm learning. 11 months in. I'm going I'm to figure this thing out. And I'm just carving out the day. And I'm going to take my Bible and a journal, and I'm going off into the woods. Just me and Jesus. A time to read, and, and most of all, a time to be quiet, to be still in his presence and know he is God. I need to sit in his word. I need to meditate and let it soak through my pores in hopes that I might actually believe this thing. I might actually walk in this thing. One of the things I need to be reminded of is I've been reading this week, 2 Timothy 2.13. I love this truth. He says, if we're faithless, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. I will inevitably lose focus. I will inevitably look at the wrong things. I will inevitably get off track. But even when I'm prone to wander, my God is faithful. Jesus stays the course and he reminds me of how he sees me. What do we see earlier with the Gentiles? My God sees me, my Savior sees me with compassion. He loves me no matter what, right where I am. And he also sees me not just in, for what I am, but the beauty of what he can make me to become. Through his healing, life-giving touch, the direction he is taking me toward, reminding me that he died for this dirty Gentile. And that he will be faithful to grow me, change me, and steer me in the right direction. Second thing we need to remember is that we need, we need to do this together. We need to grow together. Okay, if you see something in somebody's teeth, remember the old principle, if you see something, say something, right? What's happened when we've lost focus? Hebrews 3 talks about this. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. He says there's the capacity in each of us so easily to turn toward the way of the Pharisees, to harden our heart toward Jesus and try to become our own king. And so his solution to this is to say we need each other, Right? It's a hard race. And so we need to be able to pick each other up when we fall down, when we lose focus. In verse 13, he says, but encourage each other daily, every single day. Not just once a week on a Sunday morning. Every day, while it is still called the day. Why? So that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. We need each other. Now, I, I talked to you about when I was seeing my lack of compassion for people in my heart. And the way that came to the surface was actually a phone call from a friend that God used in my life this week to expose that blind spot. And he didn't even have to say anything. I was just talking. If you can imagine, I'm a verbal processor. And I'm like, man, they're distracted. And they're focused on the wrong things. And they're angry. And they're... 
oh, <laughs> thanks, Luke. And Luke's like, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I was just listening, right? And that's the whole point. There's somebody to be there and listen to us. Do you have those kind of people in your life? Are you that kind of person in somebody else's life? We need this to lovingly, gently point each other's blind spots out, our lack of focus, to encourage each other through conversation, pointing each other back toward the word, back toward his promises, back toward hope, focusing on Jesus. And the third one is that we need to go in his compassionate name to others. See, you don't get better at looking at 3D in your sleep, right? It's not osmosis. you got to practice it. It happens in motion. And our walk of faith is a walk by faith. It's a walk, right? It's in motion. And one of the main things that comes from shifting our focus to Jesus, when we actually step out of the boat, as, he called, as Peter did, right? And we inevitably take our eyes off him and start to sink. One of the factors is that we have to actually be walking, he is going to grow us in motion. And when we shift our focus over to Jesus, what's going to happen? We're actually going to start to see other people the way he sees them. And instead of seeing how can other people serve me, I'm going to start to see people the way Jesus sees them and ask the question, how can I serve them? And what if we spent less time in this season right now? Instead of arguing and worrying over the things that we can see, over the things that we can't control anyway, what if we spent more time praying for other people in our lives? Well, what if we spent more time asking God, how can I love and serve those around me? How can I give to those in need, the marginalized, the poor, right? The, 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 the isolated, the scared. How can I encourage the weary, those who are exhausted, those who have been isolated, those who need Jesus, who don't have anybody else defending them? How can I be that person in their lives? This last one which again, I know you can't see it, but when it pops out, it says the simple words that it says on the screen is, I love you. I love you. I want you to close your eyes for a second. If you're in your living room with your children, this is going to be a walk of faith. And I, want you to, I want you to picture in your mind's eye a situation in your life right now where you've lost focus, where you've been looking at the wrong things, you've been seeing it through the wrong lens, just the squiggly lines. And as you picture that situation, maybe it's a relationship with a person, maybe it's just a fear you have. That's what I want us to do. And this will be a little cheesy, but I, I think it's walking through this last week, it helped me. I, I want us to literally, to focus your eyes as you're picturing that thing mentally. I want you to picture Jesus there with you. And, and maybe what you've got in your mind is a person that you've been frustrated with. We want to ask the question, how does Jesus see them? How does Jesus look at that person? How would Jesus treat that person? How has Jesus treated that person? And maybe in the midst of the situation, in this pandemic, you've experienced frustration, you've experienced fear. I want to picture Jesus right here amongst us. What is he seeing? What, what does he think about this thing? What does he care? What, what is his heart breaking for? What are his priorities in the midst of this thing? And then to ask the question, how would you have me feel about this? What would you have me do here? And we see in the midst of our squiggly chaos in big letters, I love you. And we see a God through Jesus who has compassion on those around us, who sees things for what they can become, this process of this kingdom of light bursting into the dark, bringing life to those who are dead, bringing good to those who are evil in our hearts and those around us. Father, we just ask that you 
would be our vision. As we sang in the song before the sermon, we need you to open the eyes of our hearts. We cannot see correctly without you. That we would be a people whose hearts are turned towards Jesus, not hardened against him like the Pharisees. That you would give us an appetite for Jesus, for being in the word with him, for spilling our guts out to him. That you would put people in our lives that we can point out blind spots and have them point out ours. Lord, we need to do this together to encourage each other daily that we would be willing to take that step of faith that you're calling us to today. Maybe you're pressing in somebody that they need to change the way they're thinking about someone, talking to that person. There's some fears and frustrations that have taken their focus off of you, off of that three-dimensional image, and all they see is chaos in their life right now. Maybe there's somebody they need to reach out to that's in the margins It's a a footnote in society right now. Maybe they're that person that's crying out for help that they would trust you to provide in the midst of that storm. Father, we want to see the way you see. We thank you that you sent Jesus who never lost focus, who always sees us with compassion for what we can become and loves us all the same. Thank you that he did for us what we could never do, became for us what we could never become outside of him. We pray these things in your beautiful healing, life-giving name. Amen.